1: always is one of the confusing things in people's minds. Just because we believe that one day the trumpet will sound, the archangel will shout, and we're called up in the rapture, does not mean that we escape trouble, problems, difficulties, challenges in life. How many of you had a tough year this last year? We'll take a survey. All right, a lot of people. Uh, And uh, that's just part of life. You live in a fallen world uh, where there are problems, difficulties, challenges, etc. And in a moment, we're going to take a look at the general use of the term tribulation or trouble in the Bible. But then we're also going to look at the specific use of the time of tribulation, the time of wrath uh, in the future. So let's begin with a general definition of the use of the word trouble. It refers to the present troubles or difficulties that we may go through in life. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you get a pass on trouble and difficulty and problems. Uh, As long as we're living in a fallen world, we're going to face difficulties. Uh, John chapter 16, verse 33 says, in the world you will have tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. Now, that doesn't mean you're in the tribulation period. That means as long as we're living on planet Earth, we're going to deal with troubles, difficulties, tribulations. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4 says, We ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Now Paul's writing to the Thessalonians and he's going to talk to them about the promise of the rapture, but he also reminds them in the meantime, in general, you still go through tribulation and trouble. Revelation chapter 1 verse 9, John writing the book of Revelation said, I, John, am also your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. Now, he didn't mean that he was in the tribulation period any more than he meant he was in the millennial kingdom. What he was saying is, I am a fellow troubler of struggling with troubles and difficulties in life. John had been arrested by the Romans, exiled to the island of Patmos, uh, etc. So the Bible can use the words in English tribulation, or trouble in a general sense. Problems, challenges, difficulties. That can be everything from cancer or COVID uh, to you lost your job till you, your mother-in-law came to stay and stayed for four years. Uh, whatever, there's all kinds of tribulations. But the special use of the term the tribulation when we refer to the tribulation period is a time of divine wrath. When the wrath of God is being poured out in judgment on the world. Uh, When you read the book of Revelation, for example, uh, there are seven references to the wrath of God in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 6, it refers to Christ, Symbolized by the Lamb, the Lamb opens the seals of judgment and pronounces the judgments that come from the seal judgments, and they're called the wrath of the Lamb. Uh, that the judgments of the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments that go with them are the wrath of the Lamb. In chapter 14, uh, verses 9 and 10, it says, Unbelievers will drink of the wine of God's wrath tormented from the presence of the Lamb. In 14.19, refers to the winepress of the fierce wrath of God. And in chapters 15 and 16, uh, you have the seven bowls of judgment that are called the wrath of God. So for those that are left behind in what we call the tribulation period, unbelievers are under the wrath of the Lamb, Christ, and they're under the wrath of God. So you don't want to be left behind. Everything goes wrong during that period of time. Now, a lot of times people say, well, Bible prophecy, it's all bad news. No, it's only bad news for who? The unsaved, the lost. It's good news for the believer. The simplest way to understand the book of Revelation is in two points. For the believer... It's Good news, we win. For the unbeliever, it's bad news, you lose. Uh, I mean, that. then you can sort out all the details for yourself. But that's the basic point of the whole book. Uh, it's the wrath of God against unbelievers. Revelation 16, 19, the cup of wine of the fierce wrath of God. And then in chapter 19, Christ returns, trampling the winepress of the fierce wrath of God. So my point is simply this. We're not talking about general trouble when we're talking about the tribulation period. When we ask the question, will the church go through the tribulation period, I think the answer is no. Because the church is not the object of the wrath of Christ or the wrath of God. The wrath of man, yes. The wrath of Satan, yes. But not the wrath of God. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, He took the wrath of God for our sin. The Bible says he who knew no sin, Jesus, was made sin for us and the wrath of God is poured out on him. He took our place. He took the judgment on our behalf. But there is coming a time of divine wrath on the whole world in the future after the time of the rapture. Uh, Biblical terms for the tribulation period uh, in Matthew, excuse me, Malachi 4.5, it's called the great and terrible day of the Lord. The day of the Lord messages in the Old and New Testament all refer to the time of wrath, the time of tribulation, the time that leads up to the battle of Armageddon. In Jeremiah 30, verse 7, it's called the time of Jacob's trouble. Well, Jacob was the ancestor of the children of Israel. It's a time when Israel uh, is coming to faith but is being persecuted by the Antichrist. It's not the time of the church's trouble. Isaiah 34, 8 uh, calls it the days of vengeance, uh, when the vengeance of God is poured out on an unbelieving world. In Zephaniah 1, 18, the day of the Lord's wrath. In Daniel 8, uh, the seven years of the 77s that are predicted, a time frame for Israel. He says in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel this prophecy is for your people, the Jews, and for your holy city, Jerusalem. This is not a prophecy about the future of the church. So the church is missing from the time of tribulation, not because we deserve to be missing, but because of the grace of God and of the love of Christ. And then in Matthew twenty four twenty one, Jesus called it, the time of great tribulation that was coming in the future. When we look at all of those passages of what's coming in the future, it's obvious, the conclusion is, that unbelievers are the object of divine wrath, but not believers. That the wrath of God is shown against evil and sin and unbelief. Now, what is the purpose then of that time of tribulation that is coming for seven years after the rapture? Let me suggest a few things. Number one, it involves the removal of the restrainer. Take your Bible for a moment and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul writes two letters to the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians, he clarifies what the rapture will be all about, and we'll look at that in the morning service. In 2 Thessalonians, uh, he comes back to say to them uh, in chapter 2, verse 1, We beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him. Well, that's the rapture, when we're gathered together unto the Lord that you be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit nor by word or by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. The day of Christ is the day of the Lord, the day of His return, the day of tribulation. Paul was saying to them, that's not here yet. The time of tribulation has not yet come. And, of course, he wrote that back in the first century, and obviously it didn't come then. And then he says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day the return of Christ. Now, remember, the rapture comes first, then the return. There will come a falling away first of apostasy, and the man of sin will be revealed, the son of perdition, also called the Antichrist, We'll talk about that tonight. Who opposes and exalts himself uh, above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he is God, sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God, demanding that he be worshipped, etc. But then he says this in verse 5. Don't you remember when I was with you? Some months earlier, when he first went to Thessalonica, there were no Christians in that town. He preached the gospel for three weeks. People were saved, a church was formed, he taught them Bible doctrine, and three weeks later he left. And that church remained. Uh, the city of Thessalonica is technically still there, been there. Uh, I told you these things when I was with you. Only now you know what is withholding that he, the man of sin, might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity is already at work. Only he who now, and the King James says "Leteth," will let. But the Greek word there is restrain. That the restrainer will continue to restrain. Now when we use the English word let, we mean permit. Let me go to the store, mom. Let me have $5. Uh, permit me. But in the 1600s, let was often used in the opposite way. Restrain, keep me from doing something. He who letteth, he who restrains, will continue to restrain until he is taken out of the way. So the restrainer has to be removed first before the Antichrist can be revealed and before the time of tribulation. Uh, you say, can an English word change its meaning over time? Well, sure it can. Uh, we use the word Cool. It's cool out this morning. It was down to freezing. But it could also mean, hey man, cool, uh, whatever. It's the same word, different meaning. Think of the word gay. Let's have a gay old time. Let's not, uh, whatever. That changed its meaning. Uh, so words are determined by how they're used and then the Bible words are determined by the original language. Uh, the restrainer is the one who holds back the arrival of the Antichrist. Once he is taken out of the way, then, verse 8, the wicked one will be revealed whom the Lord will eventually consume with the power of his mouth, of his spoken word, etc. So you have a sense of order in this passage that there has to come a time of apostasy, a removal of the restrainer, then the arrival of the Antichrist, and the time of tribulation. So I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for Jesus Christ. I'm looking for the one who is coming. I'm listening for the sound of the trumpet and the voice of the archangel. Uh, I've been in the ministry for over 50 years. I've heard every crazy speculation about who the Antichrist might be. We'll talk about that again tonight. It's usually some president you didn't vote for uh, and don't like. Uh, It's got to be the Antichrist. Except I haven't heard anybody say that it's Joe Biden. He's like too boring to be the Antichrist. It's got to be somebody else. Uh, Whatever, but we'll deal with that tonight. The purpose of the tribulation period is the removal of the restrainer, and I think that clearly refers to the Holy Spirit. Uh, because the Holy Spirit is the only one powerful enough to restrain the devil and restrain the arrival of the Antichrist. That means Satan is not even free to empower somebody to become the Antichrist until after the removal of the Spirit-filled, Spirit-baptized church home to heaven in the rapture. Uh, Secondly, that allows then in these verses for the rise of the Antichrist to come to power as a world ruler. Now we'll talk again a little bit about that tonight. Is the stage being set for those things? I think it is. Are we there yet? Not yet. So we don't need to panic at this point, but we need to be wise in observing trends moving in a direction of a global economy, a global government. Uh, you, if you can mandate a mask, you can mandate a mark uh, for the mark of the beast. Uh, Again, that doesn't mean the mask is evil. It simply means the idea of international. Think of it, all of you that are over 50. Two things. Number one, the 50 years went by real what? Fast, real quick. uh, And uh, time flies by. But 50 years ago, you could not imagine something would happen on planet Earth that everybody in every country would immediately have to capitulate to. But the virus did that. The stage is set. It's like a warning from God, a precursor. If you think this is bad, this is nothing. Wait till the tribulation period comes. Uh, And everything is out of control. It's during that time that God unleashes divine vengeance on the unbelieving world. The church is raptured home to heaven. But the judgment of God falls on an unbelieving world. And the sad thing is, when you read through the book of Revelation, uh, it will say time and time again, and they did not repent. And they did not repent. There are some people saved out of the time of tribulation. The scripture makes it clear in Revelation 7, but the vast majority are not. Actually, I had somebody say to me one time, well, if you guys are right about the rapture, I'm just going to wait and see if a whole bunch of people disappear. And if they disappear, then I'm going to get saved. And I said, no you won't. If you won't get saved now, in a time of relative peace and prosperity, do you think you're going to get saved in a time of judgment and chaos when you might be killed for your faith? If you're not willing to live for Jesus, you'll never be willing to die for Him. That's right. uh, the scriptural message is today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Don't Gamble on the future. Also, during the time of tribulation, in Revelation 11, you have the rise of the two Jewish witnesses that are preaching to the people of Israel. Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly who they are, but that they come on the scene after the rapture during the time of tribulation. Uh, I've had the privilege of preaching in Israel several times in messianic assemblies of Jewish believers. Uh, There was only one assembly like that at the beginning of the 20th century. Today, there are over 200 of them in Israel. Uh, The message of the Messiah, Jesus, is spreading. Now, it's got a long way to go, but it's starting to make an impact in that nation. You let the rapture occur, and there are Jewish leaders that have enough knowledge of the Bible. They know the New Testament as well as they know the Old Testament. They don't always believe the New Testament message. The rapture occurs, I think two Jewish leaders will come to faith, begin to preach the gospel to their people, uh, and the book of Revelation makes that very, very clear. Now, there are all kinds of assumptions about who they might be. Some people say the two witnesses are Enoch and Elijah because both of them were raptured up in the Old Testament, and neither of them died physically. So people quote the verse, it's appointed unto man wants to die, and after that, the judgment. So the assumption is the two of them come back, they preach, but the book of Revelation says eventually the Antichrist executes them and they die. Well, maybe, but everybody who goes up alive in the rapture does not die physically either. So that alone doesn't prove that it's Enoch and Elijah. Uh, when you read about the two witnesses, they turn water into blood, And bring plagues on people. Well that sounds like who from the Old Testament? Moses. Uh, And they call down fire from heaven. That sounds like Elijah. Who were the two witnesses that appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration? Moses and Elijah. So I think they come in the spirit and type of Moses and Elijah. But they have to come on the scene to have a ministry in those days. Number five, the conversion of the Jewish people um, in mass takes place during the time of tribulation when Paul said eventually all Israel will be saved. And then you have the destruction of the false church uh, depicted as the great uh, harlot uh, in the book of Revelation uh, that uh, preaches a false gospel. And then the tribulation period ends with the Return of Christ. So the tribulation begins with the rapture, ends with the return, and if Daniel 9 is correctly understood, it's a seven-year period of time during which the wrath of God is poured out on an unbelieving world. So when we read the book of Revelation, what conclusion do we come to? That the church is missing from Revelation chapters 4 to 18. You have the letters to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. You have the church returning from heaven from the marriage with Jesus in the triumphal return in chapter 19 and ruling with him in the millennium in chapter 20. But there's no reference to the church specifically in Revelation chapters 4 through 18 when the divine wrath is being poured out on the world. So, will the church go through the time of great tribulation and the time of wrath? I think the answer in Scripture is clearly no. Uh, We won't. We deserve the wrath of God, but because of the grace of God, Jesus died in our place. He took the wrath on the cross for us, and uh, the church is taken out before God declares war on the world, He calls His children home to heaven. Now, we'll look at the rapture in detail uh, in the morning service. But let me suggest to you right now ten reasons why I believe the Bible teaches a pre-tribulational rapture. That the rapture will occur before the time of the great tribulation. Now, there are good Christian people that differ on all these views. Now, if you want to know all the views, they're all in the in the uh, Harvest uh, Bible Handbook of Bible Prophecy. Uh millennialists say anti-millennial. There never will be a millennium. Uh, that uh, the kingdom of Christ is spiritual. There never will be a literal kingdom on earth. Jesus is the king ruling from heaven, and that's all he's ever going to do. Post-millennialists say. He'll come back after the church brings in the kingdom of God on earth, either through a great revival or through the imposing of Christian law on society uh, or whatever. The Roman Catholic Church takes the view that the Pope ultimately will bring in the kingdom of God on earth. That's why the Pope is called the vicar of Christ. He's the sub-ruler, the king ruling for Jesus on earth, etc. Postmillennialism says... We bring in the kingdom, then the king comes back. Premillennialists say, no, no, no. You've got to have the king first, pre, before you get a literal kingdom on earth. You're never going to have a global kingdom uh, of Christian truth everywhere on the planet. You're never going to have uh, the ideal emphasis of the kingdom until the king comes back. When the king returns, he'll bring in the kingdom. So... Lots of views, and good people in some cases, in some cases not so good people, differ on all those things. Uh, just because we differ doesn't mean somebody else is not a real believer necessarily. But let me give you ten reasons why I think the rapture is pre-tribulational. Number one, Jesus promised to the disciples in John 14. They've just had the Last Supper in that passage. Judas... The unbeliever has left the room. And in John 14, Jesus turns to the 11 believing disciples and says, if I go back to the Father's house, heaven, I will do what? Come again and receive you unto Myself. And six or seven times He's going to use the pronoun you in those verses. I'll come back for you, that where I am there, you may be also, etc. That one day I will return for the believers. Well, in the meantime, we know that when a believer dies, your spirit automatically goes where? To heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But your body's in the grave. Your body's still here on earth. And in some cases, over 2,000 years of church history, it's disintegrated into dust some Christian leaders were martyred and burned at the stake some people have gone to the ashes and dust of time and yet the promise of the resurrection of the body is clear in the New Testament and again we'll talk about that in the morning service Uh, that there has to be a time when he comes back and the body is raised reunited with the spirit forever forever Jesus' instructions in Matthew 24 at the end of the chapter. He says, keep watching for me to come. Be ready for me to come. He never said, be watching for the Antichrist to come. Be watching for the tribulation period to begin. Be watching for me to come. Be looking for me. Be ready for me. Luke 21:36, Pray that you escape the time of tribulation and judgment that is coming on the whole world. Revelation 3.10, the church was promised that she would be kept from, out from, not through, the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. So you have all these pre-tribulational promises in the Bible. Number three, in Revelation 12, you have a list of the seven symbolic players in the great end times drama. Uh, The first one is the woman. And the woman is the symbol of the nation of Israel, not the church. Because the woman is pictured in Revelation 12 as the mother of Christ, the mother of the Messiah. She delivers a baby uh, that is the Son of God. And the baby is trying to be killed uh, and he's caught up in the ascension unto heaven, etc. Read that chapter sometime. The persecuted woman's descendants are persecuted by the devil and they flee into the wilderness. That's not the church fleeing into the wilderness. That's the people of Israel fleeing into the wilderness. You say, how do you know the woman symbolizes Israel? Because she's described as having the sun and the moon at her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. Where does that symbolism come from? The book of Genesis. Genesis. Joseph's dream about his family, that his mother and father were the sun and the moon and the 12 brothers were the 12 stars. The symbolism is clearly that of the nation of Israel. Jesus descends from who? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, etc., from the tribe of Judah, from the line of Israel. Israel, in essence, is the mother of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. So it can't refer to the church. The church is not your mother, I hope. The bride is not your mother. and Your mother is not your bride, etc. Uh, they're two separate people with two separate functions. Number four, and I think this one's very, very important. The church is not the object of divine wrath. First Thessalonians 5.9 says to believers, for we are not appointed unto wrath but to obtain salvation. The wonderful thing about the power of the gospel is that Jesus offers us salvation, eternal life. He offers us forgiveness, but forgiveness alone only leaves us blank. In addition, He offers us His righteousness as a free gift. And we are saved You not only receive the forgiveness of God, but the righteousness of Christ. Now, I teach at Liberty University, so let me use a professor illustration. Let's say that you're in my class, uh, and the class begins. In the beginning, we have not had any quizzes, no exams. You are totally blank as a student. You're a name on a roll. You have no grades, no A's, no B's, no F's. Nothing. You're totally innocent academically. Then you start to take quizzes and exams. Pretty soon you have grades. Let's assume you have a lot of bad grades. uh, And a lot of D's and F's, etc. As a professor, I could be very, very merciful, and I am a little too merciful sometimes. uh, uh, And I could say, okay, I tell you what, I'm going to forgive all your grades. Great, that takes you back to no grades. You still haven't passed the class. You still don't have an A or B or a C. uh, You've been forgiven. If in addition to that I said, I'm not only gonna wipe out all your F's, I'm gonna give you A's. That's mercy, that's grace, that's crazy, Uh, et cetera. Now, since we are a fully accredited institution, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I can't do that. But God can do that. Because He took all our sin, placed it on His Son, and put Him to death on our behalf, and not only forgives us, that leave us blank, He gives us the righteousness of Christ. If you die and go up to heaven one day and an angel were to say, why should I let you in? The answer is not. I went to Clearbrook Baptist Church. Uh, pastor Brian was my pastor or whatever. No, the answer is, I don't deserve to get it. I'm coming in on the basis of the forgiveness and the righteousness of Christ. I'm coming on Jesus' righteousness. I'm trusting Him. I trust that what He did for me on the cross was enough to pay for my sins Forever that guarantees me eternal life. Now, I didn't have the privilege of growing up in a Christian home. Uh, My parents both dropped out of school in the eighth grade. Uh, My dad was a truck driver. He was hardworking, but he didn't know God from a goat. Nobody did. There was no Bible, no Jesus, and no church in our family growing up. I got saved because a Baptist church planted a new church, a few blocks from our house back in the 1950s, and they sent out a flyer advertising Vacation Bible School. And my mother saw the flyer and thought, great, I can get him out of the house for five straight days, gave me the flyer and told me to go to Vacation Bible School. She didn't even know what it was. She didn't know what a Baptist church was. It could have been Jehovah's Witnesses. She didn't have a clue where we were going. She just said, go down the street a few blocks, Make sure the light is green. Don't get hit by a car. You'll be all right. Uh, And sent me. These were the 50s. Some of you grew up in the 50s. Kids were tough in the 50s. Parents were tough in the 50s. Everybody was tough back in the 50s. They'd just come through World War II. So go down there, kid, and you'll be fine. Well, I got down there, and for five straight days, I heard that Jesus loved me, that He died for my sins, that He rose from the dead. That He was coming again? Uh, That I could go to heaven forever and it was free? I recognized a good deal. I raised my hand on the invitation on the last day and said, yes, I'm ready to trust Him as my personal Savior. Now fortunately, the lady that dealt with me, Mrs. Johnson, was very thorough and very clear. She didn't rush the decision. She said, look, kid, you need to understand, this is not like Santa Claus here. We're talking about believing in Jesus, the Son of God, as your personal Savior for the rest of your life. This is a decision for time and eternity. Are you ready to say yes to Him no matter what? And the Spirit of God prompted my heart and I said yes. Now, I realize not every childhood profession is the real thing. But for me, it really was the real thing. God stepped in in those moments Uh, And I was convinced Jesus is my Savior. I don't earn heaven by my works. We're saved not by works, but by grace through what? Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You were saved. You were saved when you came to that moment of faith. And you said yes, whether it was as a child or a teenager or an adult. At some point, there was a faith encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, you and I are not under the wrath of God. And we're not here, I believe, in the time of tribulation. Number five, the rapture is always pictured in Scripture as an imminent event. That means it could potentially happen at any moment, at any time. There are a number of things predicted in the Bible that might be fulfilled before the rapture. The Jews went back to Israel to the promised land. Uh, and since 1948 they've had their own nation for the first time in 1900 years. That needed to happen before ultimately the final fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Well in this case it happened before the rapture. Uh, they may or may not try to rebuild the temple before the rapture or after the rapture. Uh, whatever. But here's the point nothing must be fulfilled in order for the rapture to occur. It could happen anytime. It could happen this afternoon. It could happen tonight. It could happen tomorrow. It could happen next week. It could happen five years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now. But when you look at the world we live in today, it is not likely that it's going to be two or three or 400 years from now. Given the depravity of the human race, The reality of weapons of mass destruction, when it's only a matter of time till somebody uses one, uh, and uh, the global economy that's already spreading, the cry for world government, etc., 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 it seems like the clock is ticking, time is moving on, and we're moving closer and closer to the time of the end. Now, the challenge for believers is, you live your life with your eye on the sky, Jesus could come at any moment. But your feet on the earth. We have a job to do in the meantime. We can't just sit around thinking about leaving all the time. No, we have something to do in the meantime. Preach the gospel, win the world, live out your faith so that your friends and family see that knowing Jesus is the real thing. The rapture is instantaneous. 1 Corinthians 15. In a moment, in a flash, uh, in the twinkling of an eye the dead will be raised. The rapture is uniquely for those that are described as being in Christ. We'll look at that in the next hour. Uh, In Christ is a New Testament term that's always used of the church. Those that are in Jesus are in Christ, baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. Number eight, the rapture has to precede The bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, uh, where 2 Corinthians 5, uh, and also we read it in the book of Romans as well, that of believers, we will all stand one day before the judgment seat of Christ. That has to take place in heaven. So the rapture has to precede the judgment seat of Christ at which you receive your rewards for serving the Lord. Some will suffer loss, but believers will be rewarded at that moment. So I often think of Mrs. Johnson that led me to the Lord. She had no idea, teaching in vacation Bible school, this kid she'd lead to the Lord would teach thousands of students, preach all over the world, have a national television broadcast, etc., etc., etc. I wouldn't have realized it. And yet, at the judgment seat, she shares in all the rewards. Uh, The scripture makes it clear, whoever assists the prophet shares in the reward of the prophet. It's an unusual verse in the book of Matthew. Uh, That means that all of you, who teach Sunday school, who work with children, who work with teenagers, especially those who work with teenagers. Uh, those of you that uh, teach adults, those of you that serve as deacons or ushers or whatever capacity you have, even if you're just working as a greeter, etc. cetera, God's keeping the record book. Amen. And you will be rewarded right. for those acts of service. They don't earn us salvation, but they do earn rewards. Uh, And you have several rewards that are discussed and defined in the New Testament uh, that we receive. One of those rewards is we receive a crown of righteousness because we love His appearing. We love the idea that Jesus is coming again. And then number nine, the rapture precedes the marriage in heaven. In Revelation 19... The chapter opens with four hallelujahs. And then you're introduced to the marriage of the Lamb has come. And His wife, the bride of Christ, the church, has made herself ready. And she was granted a white robe, the symbol of righteousness and salvation, in the book of Revelation. So you go from the bride in heaven being married to Jesus before she returns with Jesus in the last part of Revelation chapter 11. So you've got to go up to go to the judgment seat of Christ and to the marriage before we return with Christ when He marches out of heaven in triumph as King of kings and Lord of lords. Uh, Those are just ten of many reasons that I think the Scripture makes it clear the church will not go through the time of the tribulation period the time of divine wrath. Why? Because the bride of Christ is not the object of the Savior's wrath. She's the object of His love and of His grace. Ephesians 5 verses 25 to 27 says, Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it that He might sanctify and cleanse it by the judgment of the tribulation period. That's not what it says. He'll cleanse it by the washing of water by the word. As the word of God is taught and proclaimed, it cleanses our hearts and minds. Colossians 3, 1 to 4. When Christ shall appear, you shall appear with him in glory. You have the exhortation, To the church that Jesus loves the bride, the promise of the glorification of the church and the exaltation of the church. The armies that were in heaven were clothed in white in Revelation 19 that they received at the marriage. We march out of heaven with our warrior husband, so to speak, triumphant in the triumphal return. Why should the church escape the tribulation? Because of the grace of God, the love of the Savior, and the destiny of the bride. Now, there are good Christian people who actually think the church will go through the time of tribulation. And they'll say things to me like, Ed, what if Jesus doesn't come? And my response is, what if He does? You know, well they won't be ready to suffer. They won't be ready to go. Uh, Whatever. The balance is, live your life as though you have an entire lifetime to serve the Lord. Why? Because fifty years goes by real fast. But live and prepare your heart as though He could come at any moment. You live in anticipation Jesus could come today. So it matters what I do today. But I'm also planning my future that I'm going to serve the Lord either until I die or till the archangel shouts and the trumpet sounds and the rapture occurs and we're on our way to heaven. Because either way, I'm on my way to heaven. I'm on my way to an eternal destiny with God himself and a glorious future that God has prepared for you. Why? Because Jesus loves you like nobody loves you. Jesus cares for you like nobody will ever care for you. And Jesus will come one day for you, dead or alive, to take you home to be with Him forever. And all of God's people said, Amen. 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 Almighty God, I pray, dear Lord, that You would give us great encouragement today. That even though we see a lot of trouble and difficulty in the world in which we live now, and some of us have great... A concern about some of the decisions our nation is making and directions that it's taking remind us we don't need to be afraid of the tribulation period, the time of divine wrath. We need to be prepared to face you and to be faithful in our service to you. So where we need to be convicted, convict us. Where we need to be challenged, challenge us. And where we need to be encouraged, encourage us that we might continue to serve faithfully. I want to ask your blessing on this wonderful church and all that it stands for. Thank you for helping them through the challenge uh, of the COVID restrictions. Uh, And I pray that you might remind us that the greatest days for Clearbrook are still yet ahead. And we might serve you here faithfully until you come. For we pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.
0: Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbryanratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, Please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.